0: This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, I want you to take your Bibles this morning and open them up to the Book of Matthew, um, chapter sixteen. I'm so glad you're in church this morning. Specifically, I'm thankful that you're at City Bible Church Mill Plain Campus. Um, out of all the places you could be this morning, I'm grateful that you chose to be here. I believe God's got a word for us and something that He wants to settle deep in our hearts and even challenge us, kind of draw us up to a whole new level. And uh, it comes from Matthew chapter 16 is where the word comes from. Verse 13 to 19 is where I'm going to read from. Uh, If I've never met you before, my name is Daryl, by the way. I'm the campus pastor here at City Bible Church, and it's just such an honor to have you in church with us this morning. I also want to just... Um, acknowledge that Pastor Iverson's in the room this morning. If you don't know Pastor Iverson, um, amazing, amazing father in the faith to me and to our church. He pastored uh, Bible Temple, City Bible Church, for 44 years, and and, uh, so we love him dearly and glad he's here today, amen? Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 19, great portion of Scripture says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And this is a question every one of us has to grapple with. I could preach that in and of itself. Every one of us has to understand who Jesus is because the revelation of who Christ is is the foundation that the church is built upon. The revelation of who Jesus is is the foundation of everything Jesus is about to say, and so he says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered. And if you remember back to Easter, by the way, I preached a message about Simon Peter, Simon being this, this fisherman, this brash man who was brought to Jesus. And he, as he was introduced to Jesus, Jesus' first words to him were, you know, your name is Simon. I, I see exactly who you are. And the name Simon means reed. It's, it's kind of an unstable uh, name. A reed sways in the wind. A reed is planted in fairly shallow, muddy soil, and when the wind blows, the reeds lay over. And they're not really good for any building purpose. They might be um, uh, actually plucked up and then dried and maybe woven together and a basket created or something. But he's speaking really to Simon's character, and he said, Simon, you're unstable. You're kind of a basket case, if you will. And, and I see it. I know it. I can, I can see right through you and I know the weaknesses of your life. You're here this morning and you uh, think you're hiding anything from Jesus. I'm here to tell you right at the get-go that you're not hiding anything. He knows exactly who you are. He knows the weaknesses of your life. He knows the strengths of your life. And so rather than hide from him, let's just be transparent before him and say, okay, you know who I am. I'm, I'm a Simon. I've got these struggles or I'm dealing with these issues or this is in front of me. And so he says, I know your name is Simon. Uh, but I'm gonna call you Peter. And he changed his name. And the word Peter means rock, which we'll get to in just a moment. And it's, it's just an amazing thing how Jesus deals with us. He takes us as we are with our instability, and he calls us according to what we're gonna be after he gets done with us, and after he overhauls us, and after he works on our life. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are Christ." Jesus replied, You're blessed. Actually, what that means in its uh, English context, if we could, is, Oh my goodness, I can't believe you got it. I can't believe, out of all the people that I'm asking this question of, Peter, you thick headed, the man who's emotionally unstable, the man of faulty character, Peter, you got it, and nobody else has got it. He kind of slapped his head. I should have had to be eight. This is unbelievable. You're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. I want you to say revealed. Revealed. Because this morning, what we need is a revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus is up to in the world. He said, this is amazing. I can't believe you got it. Out of all the instability in your life, there's a revelation that's happened. And he said, you didn't learn this from any human being. I'm here to tell you this morning that there's nothing I can teach you. You've got to have a revelation. Revelation. I mean, I, I'm going to teach, and I'm going to share some thoughts with you, but you've got to have a revelation of who Jesus is and what he's doing in the earth. It will add purpose and meaning and value. It will move you along in the process of development, in Christ-likeness, in character. It'll move you forward in God if you have a revelation of who he is. So right now, I'm going to ask you to do something just a little strange, but I'm that kind of a guy, all right? Just put your hand on your head for just a moment. Say, Jesus... Give me a revelation of who you are. Cut through the clutter of my life. I want to know you more. I want to be involved in what you're doing in Vancouver and around the world. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, we need open minds, open hearts, ready to receive. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Amazing statement. Let me read it again. I will build my church. I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates and the powers of hell will not conquer it. The verse goes on. It says, and by the way, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. He's actually declaring that there's some kind of a connection point between you and me, whatever this church thing is, in heaven. You mean we could agree together on earth concerning anything in my name and it would be done? There's some kind of connection point? Yeah, you see, you and I are involved. Once we receive a revelation of who Christ is, we're involved in something called the church, the building of the church, and the church has a divine connection point between heaven and earth because Christ is the center of it all. This is a revelation we've got to have. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I almost tripped over this bucket, which, by the way, is an illustration I'll use in just a moment. It's an amazing portion of Scripture. In fact, if you stop and really think through the context and how silly the whole thing is, you might recognize that you and I might potentially personally realistically have an issue with some of what Jesus has said if we're really honest with each other. I want you to imagine this crazy story. 2,000 years ago, there's a guy around 30 years old. His mom was a teenager when he was born. He was born out of wedlock. His dad was a carpenter. Although the story was that his dad wasn't his real dad, but they can't really explain who the dad was or how it happened. They lived in a rural area, fairly poor, The population of the town was maybe a few dozen people. They had one well in the middle of the town that sustained the entire population, and this boy growing up went back and forth to the well probably every day. His earthly father was a carpenter, and so he would have picked up the trade of carpentry early on. Part of the home that they lived in would have been dedicated to animals. The smell and the stench would have been pretty low level. Their home more than likely wasn't any bigger than a parking stall out here in the front of the building. They would have stacked bodies in practically on top of each other just to try to get enough space to live in this little home. There were no plumbing fixtures, no excess finance, there was no affluence, certainly no opulence. The home was really raw. He worked with his dad as a carpenter and then barely early he started kind of departing from his mom and dad and sticking around in the temple at 12 and teaching, so much so that Those that were listening, the religious leaders of the day said, Wow, this guy's really got something to give. We're shocked by what he's saying. The parents were frustrated. What are you doing? You're supposed to be with us, you're supposed to be obedient and following us. And he said, Don't you get it? I got to be about my father's business. He had a sense of destiny and purpose that was beyond what his parents even knew or really were able to grasp. They needed a revelation. Peter needed a revelation. Paul needed a revelation. James needed a revelation. You and I, by the way, need a revelation. We need the darkness peeled back. We need the light of truth to shine in and know who this man Jesus really is. He said, I gotta be about my father's business. And they said, we don't understand, we don't get it. But somehow this young boy grew and about 30, he's got a ragtag group of strange people that he's gathered together. They kind of move as a pack and he teaches and tells stories and... He stands up one day and he says, Peter, I just need you to tell me, in fact, all of you, just tell me. Who do people say that I am? Well, you know, we've been reading the scriptures and searching and there's a lot of people saying you're the prophets because we know the prophets are gonna come back to life at some point and so we probably think you're one of them. Jesus said, I don't wanna hear any of that mumbo-jumbo. Tell me who you say that I am. Peter says, well, you know what I've decided? I've decided that you're Christ. That's what I believe. And Jesus absolutely astounded said now I can begin the next phase of my ministry really Jesus with 12 ragtag tax collector emotionally unstable crazy people following you you're going to start the next phase of your ministry what is the next phase of your ministry I'm going to build my church I'm going to build my church is that number one, number two, number three on the list? Number four, what is it? No, no, no. That's all I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do one thing. I'm gonna build my church. I'm gonna, I'm gonna build. I'm gonna build. Well, well, that makes sense. You're from the home of a, a carpenter, so you're gonna build? Yeah. I'm I'm 30, I'm unemployed, I'm homeless, I'm single. I've never traveled more than a hundred miles from my home, never written a book, but here we are 2,000 years later, and Time magazine called him the man of the millennium, the most influential figure that's ever lived in human history. Everybody knows that this man existed, but the issue is, who was he, and what did he do, and what did he provide, and not only what did he provide, what is he doing today Is there some effect in my life? Is there something that Jesus is up to still today? And do I get to participate in it? Or does he just save me and live from a distance? And how does this whole thing work? There's a lot of crazy views out there. Some that just say, you know, you don't really need to be part of anything called the church. Some say, well, you need to be a part so much so you you only do church. And the church tells you everything that you do. You don't need a relationship with Jesus. You just need to be in the church. Some have crazy views of what church is. This is my kind of foundational point that I'd like to speak to is since Jesus initiated this whole thing and Jesus said, I'm going to build it, he has the right to define it. Let me just say that again. Because he's building it, he has the right to define it. And if he's defining it and he's continuing to build it, then I need to understand what it is he's building and maybe seek to find my place in the thing that Jesus is doing in the earth today. You know why there's a lot of believers who don't have purpose, don't have focus, don't have a sense of destiny and calling? Because they haven't figured out what Jesus is up to. They might know they're saved, they might have heard the message of redemption, but they haven't been released into the next dimension of revelation and purpose in their life. That revelation is not only who Jesus is, but what Jesus is doing. I think every opinion of man, every opinion of woman is dwarfed by what Jesus says about the church, because he's the builder of the church. A lot of different views out there. There was a mother who was giving instructions to her three children as she sent them to Sunday school. And she asked her son, right as he was getting ready to run up the aisle, honey, tell me, why is it so important that we stay quiet in church? And her son turned around and said, I have to stay quiet because I don't want to wake up the people that are sleeping. (laughs) A lot of different views about church. There was a preacher, he had a five-year-old daughter. He noticed that her preacher father always paused and bowed his head for a moment before starting his sermon. And one day she asked him, honey, dad, why, why do you bow your head and pray every time before you start preaching. He was proud. He thought, man, my daughter's observant. She really must be being called into the ministry. She's observant. She's paying attention and wants to know how this whole thing works. And so he said, well, honey, every time I bow my head right before I preach, I ask the Lord to help me preach a good sermon. And she said, well, why doesn't God answer? (laughs) (laughs) Leave it up to the kids, right? Right? They have funny views about church, and here we are, 10,000, excuse me, 2,000 years later, you and I are the church. We know that statement, we say it. we're the church. But do you believe it? Do you have a real revelation about your place in the church, your part in the church and what God is up to in the earth today? Do you believe that the church is everything Jesus said it was supposed to be? Jesus, by his definition of the church, stated that the church is not a building, it's not a club, it's not a program. It's not man-made, it's not defined on man's terms, and by the way, it's not a particular worship style, nor is it a denomination. It's actually something that's alive, that's powerful, that's progressive, that's systemic, it invades all of society. It's, it's here, but then it's over there, and, and then when you lay your head down at night, it's where you are, and, and, and when you get up in the morning and you go to work, you carry the church into the marketplace, and you carry Jesus with you everywhere you go, there's something by way of revelation that's alive. that's active, that's pervasive, and it's all over you. And if you'd begin to understand your place in it, you could access the very power that Jesus said would be present in his church. You see, the church is the sovereign will of God. If I could say it this way, Jesus said, I will build my church. Here's just kind of the big idea of what I want to say. The church is the sovereign will of God. It's not man-made, it's sovereign-made, it's God-made. It's the purpose of God. God, Jesus said, I will build. It's it's what I'm doing in the earth. And by the way, it is the central fact of his will. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to build a governmental institution with a, a mayor and a city council people and so forth, although we need the church to be in those positions and places. But what Jesus is building is different than what man builds the model that Jesus uses and what he's up to and how he structures and who he calls and who he places, sometimes he chooses and places and puts in order the craziest people, the strangest people, the people with the most baggage and the most trouble, the most unwise, and he assembles it all together and he says, now that, that's beautiful. I'm building my church. See, it's Peter and James and Luke and Mark I'm building my church. He gets so excited about stuff that we'd say, that's stupid. You see, if I went to a meeting and a guy who was 30 and homeless and had a ragtag group of followers stood up and he said, I'm going to build my church and I knew culturally what he was saying, what the word meant and the implications, I would get on my phone and tweet, just heard the craziest man that I've ever heard before speak. I'd probably even quote his name. i I do something to try to distance myself from him. And I am so grateful that for whatever distance was there between me and him, now I've had a revelation of who he is, and I'm part of what he's up to in the earth today. I am the church, we are the church, and we're part of something that's alive and active and powerful. If you're here this morning and you're distant from Christ, I want you to have a revelation of who he is. I want you to get involved and participate and find your place in the most powerful, the most dynamic, the most alive, not institution, actually organism that exists on the planet. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ. And if we would actually embrace what he said and what he's doing and get involved, there would be a fresh power flow in your life. There'd be fresh vision. There'd be fresh purpose. There'd be a fresh dynamic. That Christ would awaken in your life because, by the way, He's building His church. It is the sovereign will of God, it is the purpose of God, it is the central fact of His will, and you and I are the church. Now, Jesus is the builder. He said in Matthew 16 18, I will build my church. And there's actually four things I want to say about His building. Number one, He builds prophetically, He builds prophetically. The word prophetic means to foretell or to speak of the future. So uh, this is a slide I'm going to put on the screen. He builds prophetically, uh, and he says, I will. Now, maybe we've got a slide, maybe we don't. I'm just going to give these guys a moment. All right, can we go to the next slide? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Jesus builds prophetically. He said, I will. First of all, he says, you know what, Peter, Peter? You've got this revelation. You've got this revelation of what I'm doing. And uh, your name is Peter. And Peter means rock. But I'm going to build upon another kind of rock. I'm going to build on a larger rock. And here for those from a background that maybe would suggest that Peter was the rock Jesus was talking about, I want to tell you about two different words for rock that's used in this verse so you'll understand the the prophetic word that Jesus was giving in this moment. The word Peter that's used there is actually the word petros, which means small stone. And he said, "Um, Peter, you are a small stone. And I've got a bucket full of rocks. You used to be a reed, you used to be unstable, but now you're a rock. You're Petros, you're a small stone. Really proud of you, Peter. But now that this has been revealed to you, who I am, I'm gonna build not on Petros, I'm gonna build on Petra. Petra, in its Greek definition, actually means a cornerstone. So this is what, kind of the picture of revelation of Jesus, Peter. Peter, you're a stone, but by the way, you're just kind of a chip off the old block. See, you're part of something larger than yourself. You're not the foundation stone, Peter, but I will put you in place with the rock, because now you know who the rock is. Let me just kind of stop right here at this statement Jesus builds prophetically, and invite you in. Invite you into an understanding that the cornerstone of your life gets set in place when you realize who Jesus is. When you realize who Jesus is, he becomes the chief cornerstone, the foundation stone, and all future building comes off of that original stone. Peter becomes one part, but he's part of the whole. Peter... That's amazing, man. You're a rock. And on this moment, this beginning point, I'm going to begin to build something that's larger than myself. He said, I will build, Peter. The word build means to build a house and to help it be strong. He said, I'm going to build something that's solid, that's dynamic, that's alive, and that's powerful. But he doesn't just build prophetically, speaking of what will be, he actually builds purposefully. This is the second thing we need to grasp. He said, I will. It's, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to not just build a house, I'm gonna build a church. He uses this word church, which in its original language is "ecclesia," and this is what it means. It means to call out from among them and assemble together. He didn't just say, I'm just gonna build one stone on the cornerstone. He actually said, I'm gonna call a bunch of stones together and I'm going to begin to build them into an amazing gathering and grouping. And the word ekklesia doesn't just mean gathering and assemble together. It actually means assembled together, together with government authority. So I'm going to build a powerhouse. I'm going to build something that's solid, that's dynamic, that's emerging, that's flourishing. And I'm going to continue to add to it and add to it and add to it and add to it. Add to it. So he builds Purposefully. He's not just whimsically throwing things together. He's building with vision in mind. The third thing that he does is he builds personally. He calls it my church. I'm going to build my church, which means I'm going to stay directly involved. So he builds prophetically, he builds purposefully, and then he thirdly builds personally. This is going to be my church. I value each part individually. I, I take individual stones and I place them right where I want them to be. See, some of you in the room this morning have wondered: am I a, a number or am I a name? Am I actually a part of something great or am I just assembling together to give my tithes and attend some gathering? Do I just worship or do I commune? What is my place in the body? We serve a personal God who's building a church with purpose and intentionality in mind. He's building with vision, and he has your name, your heart, your gifting, your strength, your skill, your history, your background, the things that you've struggled with. He has it all in mind, and he's got a place for you in the church. The fourth thing that he says is that he is building passionately, which is an amazing verse. He he says, "'I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail.'" I wish it wasn't the case, but the reality is, prior to me knowing Christ, the Bible says I'm an enemy of God. All right, so we've got Christ in the church, and then we've got my life. If, If my life is represented by a stone, you might have been abused and battered, and maybe you just didn't know Jesus, but your life is distant from God. Christ is building his church, and The Bible says you're actually at enmity with God. You're distant from him. Not only are you distant, you're actually part of another kingdom. You're headed a different direction. Now, if you're gonna have an enemy, the best kind of an enemy to have is is Christ. Because he's actually moving towards you. If you're in the room this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you're an enemy of God, not because he's against you, but because the kingdom you're part of is against him. It's actually opposing the building of the church. It's opposing his work in the lives of humanity. And so you're distant from God. And what Jesus announced on that day at 30 years old is, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to call out people from among them. People. We are the church. It's not a building. It's not an organization. It's not a system. It is people. And he sends his Holy Spirit and he gathers up the Daryls and the Andrews and the Jerry Carbonis. He had to run really far for that one. And he he grabs them. The Bible says, then he set them in the body as it pleases him. Because it's personal. And once you're part of the family of God and he adds you to the church and you find your place on the wall, you're actually now part of a a different kingdom, a kingdom with all power and all authority. And he says, everything that the enemy tries to do against this kingdom and this church isn't going to happen. Because... I'm going to watch out for him. I'm going to protect him. I'm going to undergird him. I'm going to be in charge. There will be conflict, yes, but there's a promise of victory because the church is the sovereign will of God. He cares for his church. He's watching for his church. He died for his church. He loves his church. He's giving everything that his church needs today to continue to grow and flourish and become all that he ever had in mind. Because he's still building with a prophetic edge and a passion for the lost and on a personal level. You fast- forward a few years and you find Jesus ascending into heaven after his death, burial and resurrection, and as he ascended into heaven? He sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit caused that church to grow from 120 to 3,000 in one day. Everybody say that's church growth. That's church growth. Fast forward a few more years as the band comes back. Paul writes a letter to the Roman church in Romans chapter 12. And he makes some amazing statements. I'm just going to read this to you, and I want you to hear it. He says, church in Roma, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who's a deacon in the church in Centria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who's worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs for she's been helpful to many and especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. Two sentences he's already named three different people who are active in the church. He says they're my co-workers in ministry. In fact, once they risked their lives for me, I'm thankful to them and so are all the Gentile churches. You see the one big church is made up of piles of stones. Here's a few more. We've got City Bible Church, Vancouver. A pile of stones. Christ is the center. I pastored a church for 16 years up in Centralia. It's not City Bible Church. It's its own church, but it's a pile of stones over here. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and we've got all these clusters of people who are part of the church. And he says, in that church... There are people, Priscilla, Aquila, Phoebe. Then he goes on, he says, greet my dear friends, Eponidas. He was the first person in the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, who's worked so hard, to Andronicus and to Junia. Greet Amplitaeus, all of these names that are very complicated to understand. Thank God for names like Larry and Sam. He lists twenty-five individual names when he writes the church. Writes to the church. Paul, why did you need to take all of that time in Romans chapter twelve and write to people? Why couldn't you just say the church in Rome? I'll tell you why. He had to write to people in the church because the church is the people. didn't come in this morning under the canopy of City Bible Church and lose your identity. Your addition to City Bible, your presence in this place is important because Christ is building his church and he's doing it by revealing himself to people and adding them to something larger than themselves. And at times he takes a group and he sends off a church to Denver and he plants a church. And as that church believes that Jesus is building his church prophetically and personally and passionately, they start to reach out. And as they start to reach out, Jesus adds to the church, and he collects people, and the church begins to grow, just like it did in Acts chapter two. You see, he's building his church, and his church is people. And if you don't get that revelation today, you're gonna to feel like a number rather than a name. You're gonna feel like an attender rather than a member. You're gonna feel like you're walking in and walking right back out again rather than knowing that man, this is a strategic part of my life. Jesus is building his church. When I read Romans 16, I know these three things, and this is where we're gonna end, and I'm gonna pray for you. Number one, Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your name. 25 different names, Paul begins to rattle off, greet them and them and them. I think if he was here this morning, he'd say, greet Michael and greet Kurt, greet Justin, greet them, greet them, greet them because they've been faithful in this, they've done this, they've accomplished this, they're part of the church and I'm here to tell you this morning, he knows your name, he's a personal God and he's building his church and you're part of that church. The second thing I want to tell you that I find from Romans 16 is that you're important. He doesn't just know your name, but you're important. You're important. When Jesus chose his 12, there wasn't one of them that would impress us, but he believed enough in them that in the midst of their weakness and their struggles in life, they were important to the building of the church. The last thing I want to say is that your part, it's essential. It's essential. This morning, I can guarantee, somebody walked in here depressed and discouraged and thought, I don't know where to sit. And they might have sat next to you and as you turned around and shook their hand when Andrew said, turn around and meet somebody, you shook their hand and you said, I'm glad you're here, a wall broke down, something was healed in their heart. That last time you reached out to somebody you'd never seen before and invited them to your small group, You brought restoration to their life. See, I came to City Bible Church in 1992 as a broken young man, distant from leaders, struggling to even believe that the church was really what God was up to in the world. And I remember a leader came up to me and he said, man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I said, really, are you really glad I'm here? And he said, no, I'm serious. And by the way, I see the call of God on your life and I'm gonna walk with you. His name is Bill Scheidler, and to this day, Bill calls me, and Bill's pouring into my life. Amazing to stop and think about how God adds people to the body, and it's personal. It's beyond just a number. It's beyond just walking through the doors as an attender. I actually become part of the fiber. I'm placed in the body. See, we are the church. Andrew's doing a great job with youth. We could say, wow, you're doing a great job in the church, or are we doing a great job in Vancouver? Well, we are the church. Your part is essential. I want you to stand to your feet this morning and I wanna pray. I wanna pray for three different people, three different groups of people. And the first one is the group of people who actually feel like, man, I don't know that I really know my place. I kinda wonder sometimes if I'm just a number. I don't know that Jesus really knows my name. By the way, if I've ever walked past you and met you 12 times and asked your name again, please forgive me. Jesus knows your name. I might not. As much as I try, I forget. We've got to have mercy for each other, but on the same token, Jesus knows your name. I believe this morning some of you were driving by. Some of you wondered, should we go to church? Maybe we shouldn't. Yeah, let's try out that church. Jesus was involved in that. He knows your name, and he brought you here this morning. And he has something very strategic in store for you. So if you're here this morning, maybe you've been hurt, maybe you found yourself distant from people and church and leaders, you just say, man, I don't really know if I'm just a number or if I'm really a name. This morning, I wanna pray for you with every head bowed, and every eye closed across the room. I don't wanna embarrass you, but I want you to be honest between you and the Lord. If you're here this morning and you just say, man, I feel alone, I want you to raise your hand right now. I wanna pray with you. Just raise your hand. I feel alone. Come on, raise your hand. Keep it up. Let me pray with you. Anybody else? All right, if you're here and you you don't necessarily feel alone, but you don't know that you're that important, you don't know that you're that essential, maybe you haven't been able to find your place, a function. You just say, man, I know I got something to give, but I don't really know how and where. I want you to just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Come on, just raise your hand. Several around the room. Keep your hand up for just a moment. All right, third group. If you're here this morning and you know somebody that fits that category, they're distant, they're disconnected, they're not really part of the church, and you know, man, they would come alive if they were part of a great church. You know them by name. I want you to raise your hand right now. You know somebody that's distant, somebody that's separated. We're gonna pray for them. All right, we're going to pray God would touch them. God would meet them right where they're at. God would give you favor in working with them and talking with them and dealing with them. Because Jesus is building his church and he wants to call some prodigals home. He wants to draw some people to himself. Amen. Just reach out beside you and grab the hand of the person standing next to you, if you would. And this might seem a little odd, but if you could just kind of stretch out, take hands. Because you and I, when He adds us to the church, we become part of something larger than ourselves. And so, right in this atmosphere, we're gonna pray for these three groups of people. We're gonna believe Jesus to meet you right where you're at. Amen. Everybody say, We are the church. Father, I thank you today for your goodness. Thank you for your favor upon this body of believers. I'm so grateful, God, that you added me to the church. Thank you, God, that not only did you add me, you're building the church. God, you're continuing to expand. City Bible Church, 13 people down in Montevilla area, huddled around in a little room wondering, what is God gonna do in our lives? And you begin to touch this church, and you begin to add. And today, this morning, there's thousands gathered all over the Portland metro area. And you've added to City Bible Church over and over. You added me, you added the people that are within the sound of my voice. And God, there's many more that need to be added. So I pray today, God, that you would heal every heart that's in this room. Where there's distance, where there's fragmentation, where there's pain and wounds. Right now, I pray in Jesus' name, the healing touch of Jesus upon this body. Lord, out from here, I pray for every church around Vancouver and Portland. Let there be a healing touch. Let there be a unified voice. Come to the church of Vancouver and Portland. And in Jesus' name, cause your church to be built. Father, I pray for every prodigal. I pray for every person who's distant from you. We call them out right now and call them back into the church, back into the fold, back into the family of God. And I thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, we thank you that you're still building your church. People have failed, men have failed, women have failed, mistakes have been made, but you're still building your church. And Jesus, we wanna join you in what you're doing. So let City Bible on Mill Plain and Pearl, and Rocky Butte, and online, and Burmese, and Latino, and Portland Bible College, and MFI, and the thousands of pastors and leaders that are being trained by our materials and by our voice. I pray today, God, that you would build your church globally out from this place, doing amazing work in the coming days. In Jesus' name, we thank you that we're able to participate in what you're up to. In Jesus' name. And everybody said with me, amen. Come on, could we give Jesus a big hand for calling us to be part of what he's doing?